Okay, the standard definition of civil society is that it, it, it is what occupies the space between the state and private life. So it is a public arena, and the idea is that it is a space where people come together and where social things happen. So it is not about individuals in the space between private life and the state, but about groups and the way people participate in group activities in that interim space. There have been three main themes in civil society research um, that are guiding my, uh, my interest in this topic. Uh, the first is that the notion that independent voluntary groups build trust and help to create networks in the society in which people can cooperate with each other. Um, the second is that having a public sphere outside of state control creates informed and active citizens who can then participate in government and um, express their ideas in, in, uh, to the state. And the third, somewhat more uh, proscriptive, prescriptive, is that civil society promotes democratization and democratic institutions, uh, that it promotes civil liberties, it in effect requires them, and that it also produces some kind of uh, civil public behavior. In other words, it helps people learn how to talk to one another and argue things out rather than immediately going for the guns. In the study of civil society in Japan, there have been two major things that people have been looking at. One is that the civil liberties and democracy that civil society is attributed with creating already are there in the post-war constitution. Okay, so they don't have to be fought for. So the problem then is how can people by their actions actualize the formal entitlements that are already there. The second issue in civil society in Japan is that, as um, the director has already alluded to, there's a long tradition of social groups in Japan, but they often have been co-opted by the state. So the problem then becomes how to strengthen citizens' independence from state authority. So how do these civil society theories fit in post-war Japan, given the problems that I've, been, that I've raised, there have been two approaches. The main one that characterizes uh, much of the existing literature, in English at least, about uh, civil society in Japan, equates or sets up a parallel between contemporary Japan and the contemporary U.S. So if your model is the contemporary U.S. and you think contemporary Japan should be judged by those standards, then you expect an American-style civil society. And it's on those criteria that Japanese civil society is being judged as weak and as state-dominated. Okay? However, there is another strain of work on civil society that comes out of the uh, uh, newly emerging democracies of the 1980s and the 1990s. And the civil society work that is in that tradition has a different characterization of civil society, which is much more related to contentious social movements that, that uh, 
face up against the state, okay, and build civil society in reaction to state, uh, state moves. So if one then looks back and says, well, Japanese society in the 1950s and 1960s uh, really didn't look like the contemporary United States. It looked much more like an emerging democracy. And in that model, then, we could say that it, there may have been things happening in the 1950s and 60s in Japan which look very much like a new democracy style of civil society. And the key is to look at contentious civil social movements and how they may have created certain forms of civil society in Japanese society that we can still see today. So that's where I'm starting from, is that the protest movements of the 1960s seem to have led to the development of certain styles of civil society interaction, and I contend that you can see the traces of those today. The source, then, is this, uh, what I call the long decade of the 1960s, in which there were very contentious social movements. Uh, there were first the 1960 Ampo protests at the beginning, and then uh, later the 1970 Ampo protests, and uh, of course that wasn't just Ampo, there were several other issues, the Vietnam War and a whole bunch of things. So I call it the long decade because it really started in the late 1950s, and it tapered off in the early 1970s, and uh, it saw the emergence of the Japanese New Left breaking with the old left of the Communist uh, Party, although it was still very close to certain wings of the Socialist Party. Okay? Now, the people who participated in Japan's New Left, particularly in the late 1960s protests, were actually Japan's first post-war generation. They were born right at the end, right after uh, the end of the war, and they fully participated in the changes in the education system. They saw Japan go from the poverty of the immediate post-war period to um, the growth that was booming by the 60s. And so, in a sense, that generation is also special. And it, was, uh, it, it has a different life experience than the generations before it or after it. And some of its particular characteristics are that those, those kids were educated in the ideals of democracy and equality in the 1950s in the Japanese education system. They rejected traditional class and status privileges, and they formed groups very readily for new initiatives. They also, by the time they got to college in the mid to late 1960s, enjoyed confrontation and enjoyed political critique. So they were much more open about um, being confrontational than their elders had been. And they also expressed themselves in various forms of very playful creativity. So it was also a period in which there was a lot of, of uh, uh, there were new dramatic movements, there were all kinds of new things going on in the arts, and that spilled over even into the political sphere so that we see a lot of playful activity. But at the same time, they were very optimistic and envisioned a world of revolutionary possibilities. Uh, and all of those characteristics were part of that generation in the late 1960s and the kinds of movements that they participated in, which 
also escalated into violence and eventually were crushed and did not succeed. So here, basically, my argument then is that these new left protest movements of the late 1960s to early 1970s also produced, even though the movement failed in its goals, they produced a new left culture which had new social institutions and forms and practices. And it is those things that came out of the new left. They're not the same as what the new left was doing in the late 60s, but they stem from that. And that's what I'm seeing in the new invisible uh, civil society. Now, what did people learn from those protests? Well, they learned that the state was too powerful to challenge directly. They lost. So they realized that the state could ignore even very massive frontal protests and could easily make the price of protest too high to pay through suppression. So they were not inclined after the movement died to mobilize the same kind of direct uh, confrontation because they'd be banging their heads against the wall again. They also learned, took from it that the big national left organizations were also not the answer because they dominated with their own agendas and made it hard for people to go in more individual directions. And also they tended to attract very unpleasant state surveillance. So the, the new left culture offered some alternatives which were to go below the radar, to work around and outside state control and also the control of big organizations and to work more through the law and through public resources to um, take what was available through the Constitution and through the courts and um, what was available to people as citizens and try at a more grassroots level to use those resources to pursue um, a social agenda. And most important, to work below the level of state authority in order to pres preserve autonomy and not be co-opted by the state. So out of this came um, a kind of new left alternative culture, which has several um, quite strong characteristics. Uh, there are new forms of organization, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, in fact, I'll talk about all of these things to some extent. There were new mini-media, uh, micro-media, that were generated out of these movements and can still be seen today. Uh, new, form, new and old forms of advocacy uh, to be used in civil society. And also uh, many public spheres. And it's these elements that I'm trying to explore in contemporary Japan. Now, if you look at Japan today, new left isn't around. Um, this stuff is invisible, okay? Um, however, if you dig closer to the ground, you trip over it all over the place. Okay? So if any of you have been studying a particular social issue, you probably have found a really interesting little group that's working on your issue and that does interesting things. That's part of the invisible civil society. Once you find it, you can see it, it spreads all over, okay? But if you're standing in the center, in the mainstream, looking down from the top, it's not there. 
Uh, you only find tiny traces of it in the national newspapers, but they have their own newspapers. They have their own media. <laughs> and once you get into that level, you can see a great deal happening. So part of what I'm trying to do now is to show people that there's a structure to this and that the one case you may have stumbled onto is actually part of a very broad uh, alternative culture and that uh, it's, it's hooked together in interesting ways. Okay, so let's look at some of the, the, the structural aspects of it and then um, I'll get down to more specifics of what I'm trying to do with it. Um, there are in this alternative uh, civil society uh, new forms of organization that have been constructed explicitly to be autonomous. So what they create are small organizations which have a specific purpose. Uh, they tend to be unincorporated. These people are not interested in the NPO law because to be under the NPO law means you have to have a certain level of formality, you have to have a certain budget, and you have to show it to the government because you have to apply to be affiliated with a certain ministry. That works for various kinds of social welfare organizations who then can be the conduit for government funds that they can spend to do their welfare activities. That's fine, okay? That's a visible civil society. These folks that I want to talk about don't do that, okay? They do not want to be connected to the government. They don't want to apply to a ministry. And they generally don't have the budget level or the scale to do it anyway. But they quite explicitly don't want anything to do with that. There are groups in the gray area who then have to wrestle hard with, well, do we want to pay the price to get this money and have the official recognition knowing that there are there are strings attached, or do we want to keep our independence and work outside, okay? So these groups that are outside um, operate totally on volunteer labor. They can't pay a staff. They don't have any formal offices. So uh, if people are looking from the center, they look very weak. They're not there. Where's the office? Where's the paid staff? These are the criteria of American civil society organizations. Um, most of these organizations have no bureaucratic presence or trace in Japanese society except a postal account. Um, if you subscribe to their newsletters, every once in a while you get a, a, a postal savings slip in it that has their name handwritten so you can pay your dues or, or whatever and make a donation. Um, so apparently the post office lets them have an account, but the fact that they have to handwrite the name in suggests that the account is not really in the name of the organization. They are built, these little tiny organizations, are really built on interpersonal trust. And when you pay dues to them or whatever, you're trusting that um, they'll handle it uh, properly. They are internally very informal, and procedurally they tend to be quite democratic. Um, if they have an autocrat, Usually people will just wander away and he ends up with two members. So the, the looseness of the organization tends to make things democratic. They also are able to use local facilities because they're local residents. So they don't need an office. They don't need to own a, or rent a space that has a nice room to hold meetings because when they want to hold a meeting, 
they go to the Kumin and ask, arrange to use a room there for the evening. Okay? Um, so in effect, they are fragile groups, but they have strong members. And they easily dissolve and reform as new groups when needed. So if the purpose of the original group um, goes away, they may decide, oh, for the next phase we need to close this one and form a different group with a slightly different purpose. Um, if there's a conflict, they can handle that very easily just by walking away and forming different groups. So they appear to be very floaty and fragile, but that conversely becomes part of their strength because they don't have to worry about the consequences of conflict for the organization because they just close it down and form their own new organizations. What persists then is the human capital that is produced, that through participating in such groups, people develop marvelous organizational skills. They know how to organize a meeting, demo, they know how to make all these arrangements, they know how to put publications out and do PR, um, and they also develop tremendous personal network ties. So individuals inv involved in these groups, uh, particularly older ones, tend to belong to a whole bunch of them and to know people in lots of other organizations, so that there are ties that hold this, this operation together, even though the individual organizations are small and fragile. To some extent, this parallels the way Japanese uh, corporate practices have developed in the post-war period, that companies move people around regularly and expect them to be able to bring their human skills and to immediately work in groups under common understandings of how you do that, but the group itself, it may, have this, it may be still the same boo, but the people move around. And so in a sense, uh, Japanese society in general has trained people to do that, and that training starts in elementary school, and people are used to doing things in groups, but that the, groups, that, that, the group that you belong to isn't permanent the way we used to think of it. Uh, it's simply that you know how to perform in whatever structure you're supposed to be in as a group at this particular time. Okay, these groups have also created alternative public spheres. Uh, and this is part of a debate about whether there's one public sphere or many. And my argument, of course, is that there are many. These organizations uh, act as study groups in which people uh, learn about things. And they also hold public meetings and rallies. The Constitution protects public assembly, so they, as long as they don't run afoul of other kinds of laws, they can meet regularly, and they can use local government facilities for meeting spaces, and coalitions of these groups can organize much larger events. And as I'll show in a minute, meetings also become not only something which one group has put on, but they become a platform in which other groups can also participate. In addition, they have developed alternative print media. The Constitution protects publishing, so it's pretty easy to get things published in Japan. There's no prior censorship. The problem is distribution. Um, and it, what these groups found was that the mainstream, mainstream print media are distributed through two very tightly 
very, two very dominant organizations, okay? And most publishers can just deliver their entire print run to those two organizations. They used to be one for magazines and one for books, but now they both do both. And they just distribute the whole thing. Well, when these guys bring their stuff, the, the people at the distributors look at it and say, eh, we'll take 50 of them or we'll take 100. And the publisher's left with the rest. Okay? So they had to develop alternative ways to distribute the stuff that they were producing. They have alternative newspapers, a number of them, which aggregate issues for their readers and promote uh, networks among readers who have a common interest. And um, those newspapers operate under the, the newspaper law, so they can sign contracts and do formal things because they're running a newspaper. And, but they operate primarily by mail subscription. Uh, members subscribe, and you don't buy them on a newsstand. You subscribe to them, and, and uh, under the Japanese postal laws, if you, want to, if you want to qualify for a cheap bulk rate, you have to give the postal service your entire mailing list. These guys are not about to do that. So they pay higher mailing rates, and they mail their, they fold up their newspapers, and they put them in a brown envelope, and they send them out at the regular postal rate because they want to preserve their autonomy and protect their subscribers from that kind of, of uh, the government knowing that they subscribe to that particular magazine or, or to that newspaper. They produce alternatives books and magazines, which I've said are, are not normally produced through mainstream channels. So how do they get those out? In the 1960s, there developed a national network of co-op bookstores that uh, distributed uh, what are called mini-komi and that also could distribute uh, books and magazines. And there, of course, in Kanda, there were bookstores that would handle it as well. The network has shrunk, but there are still some. They're the main one in Tokyo is, is Mosakusha in uh, Shinjuku Sanchomei. There's, I think, still one in, in Kyoto, and I think still one in, in Nagoya. Um, but people have other ways now to get print materials uh, through the web, so these things are, are less important. Um, but there was, in the late 60s, there were 30 to 40 of these things, and they were all over the, the country. And um, in addition, all of these little organizations of any size produce their own newsletters. And the newsletters are information and networking vehicles for themselves, but they also um, are informational vehicles about other things happening. And they, too, are distributed, like the newspapers, by mail subscription. But you can also find a whole array of them if you go to Mosakusha. So there, there are places where they, they will be available. Okay? Um, and you know, I subscribe to probably a dozen of them to keep up with, with different groups. Um, and virtually any organization of any size in this thing, and any size can be pretty small, produces its own newsletter. Um, the newer version, of course, is internet media. And most of the organizations that I've been looking at um, on this trip uh, do have a website. And of course, the people use email, and there are also a lot of blogs. But 
the websites do not make this invisible civil society as visible as you might think. Um, they tend to be hosted through some kind of an umbrella, and there, there are some umbrella organizations around that, that host for them. Um, there's something called JCA that does a lot of it, and there are um, Shimi no Hiroba in some local towns where people can use the some kind of government-sponsored place to put up their stuff. But of course, some of these folks aren't going to go on a government-sponsored, <laughs> even if it's local government. Okay. Um, but what I've found is that that unless you know the URL of the group itself, which is under the main thing, you still can't find it. So a web search is not going to turn up a lot of these folks. Um, it might on particular kinds of topics, okay, um, if they're being um, uh, tracked by the spiders, but some of them really aren't. Um, and so they're telling you in all of their publicity what their URL is. And once you know it, you can find really interesting stuff on their websites. Okay. Now, there are forms of advocacy. Some of them are traditional uh, for social movements, and they have their own crea creative versions of them. Um, much of what's going on now is simply public meetings and rallies, but they also distribute leaflets. They have big petition campaigns. Uh, they meet with officials sometimes to present a, a, a petition, sometimes just to present a statement. Um, there's a great deal of, of activity that supports uh, legal cases with cause lawyers, and I've written about that in other places, and I'm, I won't talk about that tonight. They also do demonstrations, street demonstrations and, and actions in front of a place. They can coordinate activity uh, so that things happen in different places at the same time, and they also occasionally engage in street theater and various kinds of symbolic protest actions. Okay, now I'll show you some shots of what I've been looking at right recently where I've been, um, I'm doing a snowball of uh, shukai or public meetings. So I go to one, I pick up all the stuff there, and then I see where am I going to go next, and then I pick up the stuff there and go to the next one. And I've been quite surprised to see how interlinked all these groups are. These are, that's one shukai, that's one other one, and I'm, even for a little bitty meeting, I'm picking up a whole bunch of stuff, which has to go in my database, which is why you're not seeing numbers yet. Um, at any rate, here's what a public meeting looks like. Uh, I've, they've gone as small as 15 to 20 people up to uh, one in Hibia uh, public hall that had six thousand people in the hall only holds five thousand so there were another thousand outside um, so the scale they're scale free in network terms um, often they're about a hundred people uh, presentations to officials um, this is a very common kind of action and I'm, I'm still digging into how it works because apparently there's something that says that if you want to present something to a ministry, they have to send somebody out to listen to you. So um, three times in the past two weeks, I have watched these presentations at the Boesho, Boecho now, um, uh, from groups that are uh, concerned about the Iraq war or about the protests in Henoko in Okinawa. Okay. 
Um, and the things get fused. So they may have come under one banner, but when they get there, they're talking about both. Okay? And there's the guy from the um, polite guy in his suit from the Boe show who has to be out there with his impassive face and listen as several people read these long statements saying, Why are you doing this? And do you, how can you be sending a Japanese ship to confront Japanese protesters in Hanoka. So anyway, they, they do all their thing. The guy over here, okay, this one was on Saturday afternoon. He's some kind of a guard. I went to one during the week, it was the end of the work day, and that guy was in proper uniform, looking very uncomfortable. On Saturday, he's lounging in the back, but he's, he's still there. Okay, and there's just a few police around, and then the, the demonstrators themselves. Um, and so they read their long statement, and then when they're through, they give it to the guy. Okay, so that's what it's about, is handing it over um, to the official. Uh, on Saturday, I'm doing one at the prison, and those tend to have a lot more police. Um, okay, uh, this is a symbolic protest. It's actually part of uh, one of these BOHO things. And this one was, they're going to make a human wall outside the BOHO. And they had come up, they had a whole lot of color pictures of victims of the Iraq war. And so the, the posters had the pictures, but there were also people there who had brought their own posters, which uh, have been recycled from lots of other demonstrations. Um, but this was billed as a world peace now, human wall in front of the Boecho. Um, you, can't, uh, you can sort of see at the very end, there is a group of monks um, who chant and who apparently have gone all over Okinawa um, and there I see them all the time <laughs> at these events and they have some drums and some cymbals and um, at this one they were standing there at the head of the parade or the, the, the human wall and when it was over and people started leaving, they turned around and then chanted to the Boecho for another 10 minutes. Um, okay, another common, very simple thing is passing out leaflets. This was outside the big one at, the, at Hibia. Uh, when I got there, it was already, you couldn't get in um, because the auditorium holds 5,000 and there were a th another 1,000 people outside. But um, the point of it here is that these are, everybody's milling around and a lot of people are passing out leaflets. Okay, so I'm picking up handbills like mad. Okay, also notice here, this is a protest that aggregated a lot of different groups and they were able to mobilize that many people and all of those people have got their own flags for their own groups, okay? Um, I'm still going through all my film and I have to code all those groups because there's no list of what they all were. But a lot of them were really local little um, community groups. Uh, the peace people were there. There are a bunch of um, huge Onokai, um, Article 9 clubs, and lots of women's groups and with very beautifully made needlework um, banners that they were carrying. Okay, and then here's the street demonstrations. This is where the banners were. And this is just a tiny piece of this demonstration, which as it went down the Ginza had 7,000 people in it. It took them over an hour to get from 
Hibia to, um, it takes an hour to walk it, but it took another hour to get all the people from Hibia to the end of the demonstration. Um, and as you can see, this is this is not uh, your typical 1960s helmeted um, uh, Uzumaki demonstration. This is ordinary folks, okay, walking down the street on a Saturday afternoon or whatever it is, the holiday was a Thursday. Um, and see, this particular group has their Kujo um, fans. Um, and there were all kinds of different gimmicks. One group had balloons, those long balloons that people make animals and things out of, and they had those twisted into a nine, so they were carrying their Article 9 um, balloons, and some people had origami. A very popular, very shiminteki um, street demonstration. Um, I've been to others with a lot more police presentation in, in uh, a different style. Um, but the point here is that, that there are all these kinds of activities, but a lot of it is what happens in these public meetings, um, which are usually indoors, but sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're out on, in a park or whatever as part of a, a demonstration. And these public meetings create a public sphere in very interesting ways. Uh, they do it the obvious way. The meeting has a, it has a focal presentation that people are coming for. So that might be that they have speakers, or that the, here's one with a speaker, this guy, um, quite a colorful character over here. Um, when he moved away from there, I just got, in the middle of the talk, I suddenly discovered he had bright blue shoes on. <laughs> but anyway, he's from Oki, he's an Okinawan uh, sculptor, but he's also a uh, plaintiff in uh, an anti-Yasukuni uh, trial in Osaka, and another one in o Okinawa, okay? So he was talking about those, and as you can see, there's a whole bunch of issues here, sort of all stuck together. Um, and uh, he was linking them in his talk. Here's one that was, uh, had a panel discussion, um, a very different group. It was actually Q and Nanakusenta, which um, is a kind of contact group for support groups for political prisoners, but um, they are also interested in, in changes in, to the criminal law. And this, this guy is a lawyer, uh, this one's a lawyer, uh, this is a professor, and this is a, an activist who happens to be a family member of a political guy on death row. So um, they were celebrating the fact that their organization got two uh, civil Liberties Prizes, two Jinken Prizes this year. So they, this was a celebration, but it was really a discussion of the changes to the criminal law and where things were going, okay? And often these events, uh, the main event is sponsoring a, demo, uh, a documentary film. Um, so all of these things are sort of fused together and they may have artistic content, okay? But the same events are also forums for information distribution. There are informational handouts that are, when you pay your dues or your, your fee, you get usually a fairly fat handout that includes not only the program, but it also includes um, useful background material. It may be um, copies of newspaper articles or magazine articles or some statistics, all kinds of things that are informational and that support whatever the main topic is. In addition, 
there's in the structure of the shukai, of these meetings, there, the order is that you have a main event, one or two speakers, and then there's a section where there are reports from other groups. And that's built into the structure. So if you're going to one and you have a connection, you can ask if you can give a report on your organization. So a shukai or these kinds of meetings might be put on by one group. Often they're put on by more than one. But there's a place in the, the order of the day for other groups to tell about their activities. And they may have almost nothing to do with whatever the main point of the, um, the event is. In addition to these oral reports, there's print material from a far wider variety of organizations that's available to people and that is actively sought out and used. Okay, some of the things are free. So there's always a, a chirashi table full of um, handouts, and anybody can stick their handouts down. And um, people go over there and take one of everything, okay? And you see them sitting there reading them. And other materials will be for sale. Okay, so this one, um, you can't see it very well, but in the front, these are prices, okay, listed. And this happens to be a table that's not manned. Okay, this is a bigger one, and there were, this actually, this is one, but there were, like, the whole back of the room had these tables, and there were probably five different guys attending to their part of the table selling things, okay? And then at the far end of the picture, that's where the chirashi table was, and these people are picking up the freebies and then talking to their friends. Okay. It's not just that they are distributing material, but this table is unmanned, okay? And there's, this is a demonstration of mutual trust. The people who brought the materials put it out there with a price on it with full confidence that people won't just walk off with it, but that they will actually pay for it, okay? And both sides also believe that nobody will walk off with the money, <laughs> okay? So this is tangible evidence of mutual trust being created within these organizations. Okay. Okay. These groups are linked through networks. And the, the, that's what I'm trying to understand now is the extent of these network ties. Um, they are of various types. There are issue-based networks and there are clearinghouse organizations whose function is to um, link all of the different organizations that are interested in the same issue. And they tend to have more stability, but they're also not like a peak organization that controls these other groups. They are simply uh, a coordinating body or a place where information can be distributed um, and the connections can be made. There are also all kinds of ad hoc coalitions for larger events. Uh, a, a meeting, even a meeting of just 100 people, uh, may not be sponsored by one organization. Several organizations may have come together to, to sponsor it, and the clue is that where, where it says what the sponsor is, it'll say, nani nani jikko inkai, <laughs> because that, that 
organizing committee or executive committee has representatives from all of the participating groups, and they organize it. Okay. Um, and usually, you'll see advertisements on the web now. If you want to be part of this event, if you're an organization, it's 3,000 yen. If you're an individual, it's 1,000 yen. So it doesn't cost very much to be part of um, a network coalition that's been created for an event. Many of these groups are also tied to existing national and global networks. Uh, there's a long activist Christian tradition in Japan that was very active in the 60s, and um, those, those groups and the people in them are often found in some of these issues today. And there's a wide range of, of issues that you can find Christians in. There are, even though Christians are a very small percentage of Japan, they're a much larger percentage of the new left. Um, some of these groups are also connected to international NGOs like Amnesty or whatever. So there are ties there that, that give them international connections. Um, some of them also have ties to the, the left political parties and to labor organizations. But what I'm finding now is that the labor organizations that they are connected to are not Bengo labor organizations. They are the split off of the teachers union that didn't go with the mainstream, or they are these, um, these uh, godo unions that are formed, um, usually they were formed by student activists 25 years ago, but they, they organize workers who work in small companies that aren't unionized and they use their collective power, which may mean that they can muster 20 people to go scream in front of the company when they've fired somebody, or that they can you know, somehow use that little collective muscle to, um, to put some pressure on, uh, on an employer. Um, so it's, it's their labor unions, but it's not the labor unions that you're used to thinking about. Okay, these groups are also linked through personal relationship networks. A lot of people know each other, people belong to different groups, and they've got their hooks in a lot of it. And as I've suggested, they form information networks through events and through the kind of material that is distributed at these events. Okay, now, what does that mean? We've started with some very small, very fragile organizations, and the criti critique is they're small and fragile, they can't make a difference. But in fact, because of this kind of networking, the small groups themselves can be effective locally, and in fact they often are. Coalitions can expand the reach of these small groups, and networks can coordinate events happening in different places at the same time. Um, and can coordinate longer local campaigns of activity. The alternative media inform and edu educate readers about a wide array of activities that are happening with other groups and also promote whatever their own group is doing. And so the networks and the mini-media mobilize participants and they can, for various large-scale issues, they can mobilize a lot of people who actually belong to a lot of very different groups, but there's also an overlap of issues so that they can, they can get people to participate. Um, and that's when things become visible. If you've got 7,000 people marching down the Ginza, 
um, there's a little bit of visibility there, okay? And what you're seeing is people from probably a hundred different little groups that were able to come together on that day to make a bigger statement. But they're not a single organization. So it's not like the way the labor unions used to be able to mobilize people for a huge demonstration 30 years ago. Okay, so because these networks are very loose and very horizontal coordination, it protects the autonomy of the individual groups. So there isn't any big target that the state can, there, the state is very interested in some of these little groups because of the members and because of their, their past. And so I'll go to them and say, oh, why is it that this demonstration with 50 people has got 60 police and this other one with 75 people has three policemen? So then you have to say, well, who's behind, who are these folks? Okay, so um, at any rate, they can do things like that. Okay, here's, these are from the big demonstration. And you can see this is coming out of the Hibia Auditorium. Um, and they were coming down this side, and there are just as many people coming down on the other side. But this is all the different groups. They had, had their own banners, and they had to sort of find their own group in order to mobilize for the street demonstration. And here's another one. Here's a, this is the Christian part of it. Okay. But as you can see, um, the banners are all different, it's not all the same group, and everybody's holding their own flag, but they're all participating together in a large um, public visible demonstration. Okay, so is this social movements or is it civil society? Well, my argument is that the 1960s social movements created new social forms that led in turn to this alternative civil society and the public sphere that it has created. So it offers arenas for participation in civic life. It creates an informed public with independent opinions. It fosters social networks and interpersonal trust. And it uses forms of advocacy that are common to social movements. But it also uses these strategies to maintain its autonomy from the state. Okay, All of these are characteristics of civil society in new democracies. And we're seeing them in the early 20th century in Japan because they were created by groups that were acting in a new democracy uh, 40 years ago. And those people are still around. They lost round one and round two, but they've gone down to, form, to carry on these traditions uh, into the present. Okay, this alternative civil society is clearly invisible in national registers of organizations. So the political scientists that want to see how big civil society is by finding the Mabo aren't going to find these folks. Uh, you're not going to find them named in Asahi, uh, no matter how much you search online. Um, and you're not going to find the material they produce in most mainstream bookstores and magazine stands. You're also not going to find them in most academic discourse on civil society in Japan. Okay? So where is it visible? At the local community level, you see these groups all over the place working on local issues. And the, 
efforts to decentralize Japanese government in the 1990s are paying off in the way that these people can work at the local level and actually make things happen. Uh, you will find them nationally and locally for most social change or at, uh, marginally lefty social issues and political issues. So they're there. Um, and if you're interested in the, any of those issues, you will stumble across these groups. You will see them in courts through trial support groups. And increasingly, they are engaged with cause lawyers in forming support groups to have uh, civil trials that are intended to make changes to the society. Um, you will see them at national demonstrations for big issues, and that is the one time when you might see them reported in the newspaper or in the evening news. Um, and you will also see them if you are in touch with the new left generation that's now in its late 50s and in its 60s, because they are demographically the biggest group, although there are young people in these organizations, and they're trying really hard to, um, to bring more in. Okay, So it's out there. Yes, there is an autonomous civil society in Japan. It's just invisible. <laughs> <laughs>